Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Total Recall, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rachel Decotton, Sharon Stone, Michael Ironside, and Ronnie Cox. Screenplay by Ronald Shusett, Dan O'Bannon, and Gary Goldman, based on the short story We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by Philip K. Dick, and directed by our boy, Paul Verhoeven. Our boy, indeed. <laughs> this is the fourth <laughs> time. It, I tried to think back. I was like, well, we covered, I think, two or three Spielberg films, three Carpenter films. We did three Hitchcock. Like He's beaten all of them. Like <laughs> it's Maybe a statement about you and me. <laughs> Maybe. Excellent. Everybody run for the hills. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Uh, we're going to wrap up our Hasta La Vista podcast talking about our own Schwarzenegger films with from 1990 Total Recall. We just finished in the other room. When was the last time you saw that movie? It's been over a decade. Oh, nice. You? Um, yeah, I watched it like every three or four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'll explain a little bit about my history with this film because it's pretty interesting. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Also, we're having some more of the Breckenridge. Cheers. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Really good. When I went to the store uh, yesterday, I, they there's like another type of of Breckenridge that I uh, that I found there that's um, been aged a little bit longer. And when I was there, I did find I think I found the the other Basil Hayden's you were talking about. It was a rye that's been made in Caribbean rum casks. Might have to give that a test drive. Yeah, it had like a like a blue label on it. Yeah. So that was pretty good. But let's go ahead and get started and get to our flight question. Excellent. Well, being that, you know, we talked about briefly Total Recall a couple months ago when we did the best movies never made. And Matt, you told a really interesting story about the road to Total Recall and then the road to Total Recall Part 2, which never happened. Yeah. I guess the closest we ever got to that was there was a Total Recall TV show called Total Recall 2070. I've never seen it, but lasted like one year Hmm. with a bunch of no names. And then we got the remake in 2012 with Colin Farrell, which probably follows the short story a little closer, but it's vastly different from the film we just watched. So my question to you is, what is another sequel to an Arnold Schwarzenegger film that we never got that you'd actually really like to see? So I'm going to assume the following in this answer, and that's what might already be in place is gone, and I can wipe the slate clean and mm-hmm. either reboot this Halloween style from a couple years ago or yeah, somehow pro- mend all of the broken pieces that might have the franchise in not the most palatable version. Sure, sure. Currently. A Predator 2 with Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. or Conan Part 3, Terminator 3 that is with James Cameron. I don't I don't know. What, what direction do you want to go in this? Well, one of them that you just mentioned was one I considered. Okay. So if I can erase everything after the first Conan <laughs> and then 
leave Arnold in the state that he currently is now, aged, mm-hmm. and not quite the tower of power that he was originally, there's countless stories and source material of Conan versus Krom. There is no shortage of excellent, and there's probably, again, I'm not a huge Conan fan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's plenty of trash in there too, but I know because there's source material that they'll at least be able to derive a story that would look good on screen, but that's not my choice. Okay. okay another one that I considered strongly, and this is not a joke actually, I'm serious about this, okay. is Kindergarten Cop 2. Yeah. There's a ton of places where that could have gone. There is a Kindergarten Cop 2, but it's like straight to DVD, and I'm pretty sure Dolph Lundgren's in that film. That's rough. (laughs) So those are both considerations for me. Neither one of them make it, though. It's Eraser 2, isn't it? Kind of. (laughs) True Lies and Eraser Mm -hmm. are essentially the same character for me, and both of those two offer for me a Jack Ryan-like entry into a franchise. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which one, because, you know, I was trying to think about it, Mm -hmm. which one was which one. And there's delineation in mine with his female opposites in them. Yeah. Um, And I would argue those are his two best, Mm -hmm. not movies, but best opposite choices when it came to female cast members. Yeah. But it's hard for me to say, oh, yeah, that was the piece in Eraser and that was the piece in True Lies because essentially it's the same Jack Ryan as Arnold Schwarzenegger-like entry. So... I'm going to say, yes, it's Eraser 2. Okay. I know that's not one of his best films per critic's choice. Yeah. There was some potential in that movie. Mm -hmm. Got a little bit messy. And frankly, the espionage spy element that's out of the science fiction genre is something I think there was plenty of room left to be explored. So that's what I'm going to go with. Whether he's hired mercenary or rescue like taken sort of style but not but in that sort of vein it wouldn't matter i just think there are a lot of places that that character could have gone probably not now though okay it's a little too old unless he's heading up an agency sure Um, that's good what about the expendables just kidding yeah so i'm gonna go with that i guess i haven't seen a racer in a number of years it's been a while yeah yeah that might be on netflix right now too actually might be worth a watch well, I'm actually going to steal the one you didn't take, Sorry. and that's t- True Lies Part 2. Uh, the way that film ends with, I think it's assumed that his wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, Helen Tasker, is now going to become a spy too, and they're going to be getting into spy shenanigans together. It reminds me a lot of the plot of Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Smith. Smith. Yeah. Amen. So I can't imagine the potential of spouses being spies working together on just like another adventure. I really like True Lies. I think it's a nice balance of comedy and action. And man, I am not a Tom, Tom Arnold fan at all, but he's really good in that in that film as his foil, his kind of partner. Bill Paxton has a nice little sh- uh, short part in there. Yeah, I really like True Lies, and I always kind of wanted to see the expansion of of that idea of that story. And yeah, I think that I think there's there could be a lot of a lot of fun to to have with that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that I thought about Terminator Three. That's not the Terminator Three we got. I I toyed with Conan because there's the, the the author that wrote that his name's escaping me, but he he wrote a number of novels of Conan the Barbarian. So you can derive any type of source material from from any of those. Commando Part Two. I don't I, I don't know. Like there's there's so many you could you could really choose from. Interesting. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to get one of them that we didn't mention. Mm-hmm. That's triplets. Whenever that actually does get released. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of his films that I, I didn't really love twins. Yeah. I didn't really love twins mm-hmm. just, and mostly that has to do with uh, Danny DeVito's is so off putting to me in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's just a thing. Yeah. Um, so we'll get that. It's not the one that I was looking for, but we'll get it. Um, you know, when you were bringing up the true lies piece and Mr. And Mrs. Smith, the other one that kind of came to mind was allied for me. Hmm. Brad Pitt, Marion Cotillard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff that could be done there. Yeah. Domestic and what loyalties and the government and who's trying to screw who over. And like, there's a lot of ways that you can play that out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I like either one of those choices, but it's interesting. Neither one of us really did science fiction. Yeah. Well, we're going to get a heavy dose of science fiction today. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, excellent. I love your choice. Yours too. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. And let's get to our review breakdown of Total Recall. Arnold looks really good jackhammering stuff. No kidding. <laughs> Excellent. Total Recall starts out with the ill-fated logo of Corelco Pictures. May they rest in peace. Man, they were like on a hell of a roll around this time, whether it was this, Terminator 2, Basic Instinct. They're just churning out like a number of quality hits. And it's just, we talked about their demise, I think, in the Basic Instinct episode. Yeah, and if you want to get into that, you can go back. The audience can go back and listen to the shot that we did on the best films that were never made because there's a couple entries, Total Recall 2 and then another one. Um, Crusade? Not the Crusade one. It was the Indiana Jones. Oh, Smoke and Mirrors. Smoke and Mirrors. Yeah. There you go. There's a lot of interesting points of uh, maybe mistakes from Andrew Vajna that was the kind of the guy that was heading that company. Mm-hmm. We talked about it again. Cutthroat Island's going to do them in, and that's the choice that they make instead of the Crusades film, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say that movie did them in, yeah. but there's a, there's a lot more to it than that, but there also isn't because that is sort of emblematic mm-hmm. of you can only push it so far, and there is a space that you are really good in. Like Blumhouse is not going to do a period piece, a romantic period piece. Yeah. Nobody would buy that. Mm-hmm. And for Karolko and the powers that be with Verhoeven and the very omniscient sex and violence that he used in his film, I'm not sure why a pirate film that was a semi-musical had anybody fired up. Yeah. So anyway, to the demise of them, because they did... <laughs> have a five or six year run that was solid. They've turned out a lot of films that I really like. You and me both. That I'm a big fan of. Well, we've covered a bunch of them. Yeah. For the this most. The third one, right? <laughs> to do Cutthroat Island. Yeah, it might be one to consider. <laughs> yeah, that's an Randy Harlan. Yeah, we haven't talked about him yet either. And he's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we get the, get the opening credits. I always love this opening credits. It's just, it reminds me of the Superman titles where they're just kind of like rolling into each other. And I love that Jerry Goldsmith score in there. It's like smashing trash cans is what it sounds like. But then it gets going, and then these credits are just mind-boggling to me because the people involved, so you got Rachel Takatin, who we couldn't pinpoint another film that we've really seen her in, Sharon Stone, pre-Basic Instinct, Michael Ironside, Ronnie Cox playing 
essentially the same character from RoboCop, right. Dick Jones. <laughs> but right. he's really good at that type of character. Corporate asshole. Just corporate dick. Like he's he's got that down. Mm-hmm. I bet he's a really nice guy in real life too. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And and then you kind of get into the the specifics of it. So then you get to Rob Botin, uh, who did the, the the makeup and makeup effects. He did the thing. So they did look kind of thing like like Benny's arm and some of the mutants uh, designs looked like those kind of practical effects. And then we get into the story credits. So this is the first time we get to talk about Philip K. Dick, if memory serves me right. Very right. prominent science fiction author who's churned out a lot of stuff that's, for the most part, been made into trash films. Like, have you ever seen Imposter with Gary Sinise? Yeah, but, I mean, one of your favorites, though, Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, Blade Runner, yeah, the, kind of at the tippy top. And then My, High Castle as well. Man, that's such Castle. a great idea. And I, I, don't, I just don't know if the show's really kind of doing it justice, you know what I mean? Right. I think it'd be better as a film. Me too. Uh, Minority Report, Paycheck, and another one I really like, just conceptually, is A Scanner Darkly, Richard Linkletter's... Uh, like rotoscoped animation. That movie's wild. So he was an interesting man too. He always thought he was like, people were like were always after him. He was a very paranoid individual. And you can tell from the types of stories he wrote. Comes across, right? Yeah. And it, he died at fairly, fairly young age too. But yeah, this is a short story that I, I've never read, but it's I conceptually, it's the same idea. The whole Mars aspect and everything, that's all kind of within screenplay. So then we get to the screenplay credits. So then we got a couple other people we know, Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shuset, who wrote Alien. Alien. And I think we mentioned in that episode, and it sounded a little more like this that time. <laughs> yeah. That uh, Dan O'Bannon came to, or Shuset came to O'Bannon and said, hey, I got the rights to this short story. Can you help me flesh it out? And he was like, well, why don't you help me flesh out Alien? That became Alien. And then this film went into Devo hell for a decade, mm-hmm. 1990. Yep. And this kind of somewhere in there, the lawnmower man begins to be written as if I'm not mistaken too. somebody adapted. I know that's a King film, but yeah. doesn't she said have his hands in that in some manner mm, too. I don't know. I could into that yeah, lawn, lawnmower man. That's very, another kind of very similar kind of idea too. Mm-hmm. So then you kind of, kind of get the wheels turning on the road to get to total recall. And this, this is just such a fascinating story for me. So when films fall into developmental hell like this, it just, it becomes a long gestating process. So a prominent film producer of the 1980s, you're going to recognize Dino De Laurentiis, kind of got his hands on this screenplay and tried to make it with, oh, you you ready for this? Two people, Richard Dreyfuss as Quaid and Patrick Swayze, which maybe could have worked. Can you imagine him? No one puts Quato in the corner. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that fell through. And then I, I, you did mention this in in the, and I'm just going to repeat it real quickly, but David Cronenberg got his hands on this thing for a while and tried a few times at some drafts. Like the untold story in Hollywood when making films is how much writing actually takes place. Cronenberg did 12 drafts on this O'Bannon and Shuset screenplay, and they couldn't agree on any of it. Can you imagine? Like, going at it 12 more times to not get anywhere. Right. So then Schwarzenegger, while they're making Predator, he had wanted to do this with Joel Silver. And then once Arnold gets attached, then you talk about a man at the height of his powers. I I, I told you he had a, something called like a, a, a full veto uh, clause in there. So he had a $10 million salary, negotiated 15% of the profits of this film 
and had veto power over producer, director, writer, and cast. Like, <laughs> who has that? <laughs> yeah. Who has that power? Arnold does at, the, at this point. Well, then it makes you wonder, is this the most Arnold film that was ever done? If he mm. has first right of refusal on just about everything, is this the purest version of what he really wanted to do at that time? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And that's a fair, if the answer is yes, it's a fair way to evaluate exactly some of the choices he maybe made or didn't make. Well, the first choice he wanted, he wanted Paul Verhoeven because of RoboCop. Sure. He liked the way he handled that film, and you can very clearly see Paul Verhoeven's fingerprints all over this film. And he brought in Gary Goldman, the screener, to help kind of finish this thing out. So after it was all said and done, 42 drafts of this screenplay were written. That just like makes makes my head want to explode. For everything we talked about, with why Total Recall 2 didn't get made. Mm-hmm. Some element of that had to have come into play as well. Sure. So if you're going to take what is already established in one and then make it work in two, and one was 42 drafts. Yeah. Good gracious, how many would number two be? Yeah, I know, exactly. Maybe it, they just said, yeah, it was enjoy already, the one-off. It was already hard enough, and, yeah. and let, let's just kind of leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we got our producers, uh, Mario Kasser and Andrew Vajna, Films like First Blood, uh, what was the other one? You know, Basic Instinct, of course. Mm-hmm. And then director Paul Verhoeven, which coming off the success of RoboCop, he just seems so perfect for something like this, this science fiction. And I think that's maybe my favorite part of the film is this is a film that toys with some pretty big ideas, but it still feels, I feel that RoboCop touch of like media aspect commercials the commercials that they show in in here the violence for sure and it just feels fun like to me this is like robocop's like a pretty intense film especially the murder of alex murphy to me this film is just like an adventure ride and it wants to be toy with some big science fiction but it's not going the blade runner route it like dials it back to deliver i think a very fun action sci-fi romp right yeah for all of the intensity that RoboCop delivers, I think one of the more notable pieces in Total Recall is how it's able to really be intense and bordering on over the top with his violence, which is more of a Verhoeven thing really than a written thing. Yeah. But there's the comedic relief that's again offered from time to time with Arnold and his one-liners, not as much in this as some of the other films for me, but, and I don't mean like they're not as effective. They're not quite as prevalent. They're in this, but not quite as much. Mm -hmm. Even when he's trying not to do it in this movie, he sort of ends up doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. But it, it sort of tamps down the, this one goes to 11 nature of RoboCop and maybe keeps this one somewhere between five to eight. And I think that makes it a little bit more, I don't want to say family friendly because this movie isn't, but in a a way, kind of a little bit more palatable for the masses. There, That's the word. If I had to pick like, I got to be in a mood to watch RoboCop because of the violence, the everything just taking place in that this man, you can just pop this on, just kind of have a good time with it. Like it's just kind of like a roller coaster of sorts. And there's also a dreamlike state to it. Well, let's talk about the dreams and let's talk about recall because we mentioned this maybe every other episode on the show about high concept film ideas. Man, recall the corporation, 
it's like a high concept idea machine. Mm-hmm. So here's this company that if you, you can still take traditional vacations and go fly around Saturn. It's apparently really boring. <laughs> or you can go to recall and get the memory of a vacation or a trip implanted in your memory. And it's like you went. Yeah. And you avoid all the stresses of travel and you just kind of sit in this chair. They put it and implant it and which sounds pretty cool, actually. You know what I mean? Like, if your memory is not going to be able to tell the difference, what does it matter? <laughs> I love the pitch, too, from the guy at Recall. That's, that's Bob, Bob McLean. Yeah. You don't have to worry about travel. You don't have to worry about taxi cab drivers ripping you off, and there's no lines at the airport. And all this is even before the Patriot Act, so add that in there on top of it. Yeah. Now that nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a compelling pitch. Yeah. Not only in the business of the screenplay, mm-hmm. but in the business on the screen playing. Mm-hmm. And Arnold at first is like, yeah, I don't want to do that. His buddy gives him the warning. Yeah, don't go there. They're going to lobotomize you. And some of those concerns come up and the pitch is so compelling. Yeah. Because you can not only just go and experience it, but you can experience it as one of these other alternate sort of realities or personas. See, and that's the cool part too. Well, I, I you might- can be... Playboy, sports star, agent. I forget what the fourth one is. Does it even matter at that point? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'd pick one of those. And so he chooses. Mm-hmm. Secret agent. How much is that package? Well, the reason he came to recalls, he's been having all these dreams about going to Mars and having this past life. And he kind of wants to live it out. Like, what is the Mars experience actually like? And it's as he kind of gets more involved by picking the secret agent package. And essentially what Bob McLean tells him what happens is the plot of the film. But it's interesting, too, that they chose that he chooses to go to Mars. So set at the time, it's very Kosovo-like, constant, Mm -hmm. rebel establishment, anti-peaceful actions between the two of them. He wants to jump in the middle of that, Mm -hmm. maybe because like a lot of us just bored in his day-to-day mundane of jackhammering. And, oh, no, you could be bored of Sharon Stone, though. <laughs> well, no, that's true. But, like, think about that job. Yeah. Mindless, Jesse. Literally, yeah. Just for hours on end, mm-hmm. mindless. And as you're doing that, just breaking down your body. Now, I know Arnold's presented in a different way, but yeah, Harry's breaking down his body. Think about that. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a metaphor for summer vacation for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. So you can do it. You can just sit here. We'll give you the memories. You'll have... This once in a lifetime experience that you can do multiple times yeah. as multiple personalities. I'm going to go to Mars as a playboy, as a sports star, as a financial or tech guy, and mm-hmm. then as a secret agent. Like, oh my gosh. For a cost. Well, that seems reasonable. Yeah. 899 credits to start plus a $300, 300 credit upgrade to be secret agent, man. Yeah. Cue yes. Johnny Rivers and let's get it started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you totally see the, 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 cons- the consumer consumerism aspect of this type of company adding on these different packages. You see it again with that lady when she's like, well, I don't get a souvenir. Nuh-uh. For another 200 credits, you get all the swag that you would on a vacation. Like, Recall's got it all set up. Little used car salesman, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And Arnold knows that, too. Doug. Doug knows that. He says, no upgrades, no options. Douglas Quaid. Except for maybe the secret agent thing. And Mm -hmm. then you get to pick the girl that you're going to meet there. Mm Mm-hmm. You even get to sort of decide what the aliens are going to look like. Yep. Two-headed. We do get a two-headed alien, don't we? Well, th- this is the the interesting part, and we'll talk about this at the end, but like everything that, whether it's the description of Melina on the screen, 
demure well, and sleazy. Yes, and athletic. It's a tough fit. <laughs> yeah. And that other guy that takes the slap later, the other uh, worker. <laughs> yes. Just kind of throws the, like a throwaway line. If you don't catch it, he says, blue skies on Mars. That's a new one. That's the end of the film. Right. So everything they've been describing, Bob's scenario, like it's kind of how the film plays out. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to the, to the end because we can have a conversation about that. But he goes through the implant, and man, this is this is like the best Arnold freak out ever. flipping out yeah i love the way it's just furiously shot by Ver- verhoven like it, he's got a good roving camera that captures action very well can we talk about that for a minute that sequence yeah, yeah. just what you said about the roving camera yeah there are so many times that the camera gets so busy mm-hmm. that you lose what's happening mm-hmm. see man on fire for me or any transformers oh, film yeah. mm-hmm. it's so busy you can't focus on what the central point or the the central point in the shot is mm-hmm and it just looks like an orgy of bullshit movement. Yeah. This has that super active action, but the camera is stationary enough to let you at least focus to then create a geography in your mind about who's where and what's what and who's kicking who and what is what. Yeah. And there's an art to that, Jesse. Oh, yeah. We talk a lot about Verhoeven. And in some ways, I think Verhoeven is inspired by the way De Palma used violence. I think De Palma's terrific when it comes to the use of blood and violence in film. Mm-hmm. I don't have any inside information that can back this up other than just my own two eyes. And if you look at a Paul Verhoeven film with the action sequences, they feel De Palma-esque to me. The thing that he does really well in those action sequences is keep the central image in the film in an active state while the periphery of the shot is stationary enough to give it a framework to, to exist in. Mm-hmm. And that is, I certainly noticed that specifically today, how refreshing it was to be able to focus on yeah. what was going on because the other stuff isn't so busy. Sure. I think you see that in the very next scene. So after his flip out, they get him on a cab. They say someone's erased his memory, like something weird's going on here. So Get him out of here. We'll erase his records. They pop him in the Johnny cab. And then on the way home, he's ambushed by Harry, who told them not to go to recall. And, like, they hold him at gunpoint. They're going to, like, they're going to kill him. You blabbed, Quaid. You blabbed about Mars. And then we see that in this sequence, just kind of the use. We get, like, we get to see every kick to the groin, punch to the face, the blood firing, the shooting, and the blood squib shooting out. And it's and it, by the end, it's a massacre. But you're able to focus on it, and it's it's a very you're just like whoa, like what did he do? How did he know how to do that? And it's gruesome too. <laughs> it's not so over the top that it becomes the bride versus the crazy eighty eights and Kill oh, no, Bill. No, no, no. It's not that. It's over not the top. that stylized. It's God, I don't know how to describe it. It's this is nineteen ninety, but to me this is a film of the eighties still. Yeah, and it's how they did violence in the eighties. Like I mentioned last week, man, the blood squib. It's just. We'll talk about it later with that, that guy on the escalator. So with all of the battles that Doug takes on with the forces of opposition in this film, 
you can take a punch to the mouth. You can take a punch in the nose. You can, and all of those still serve the same purpose, which is to inflict damage. And with the sound, the audience is like, Ooh, that hurt. You can take a kick to the stomach. Mm -hmm. Paul Verhoeven in his essence is not the guy that would ever let you take a kick to the stomach. Yeah. Because if you go six inches lower, it's a kick to the balls. And that's so Paul Verhoeven. Like we kind of made a joke when we were watching like Arnold Schwarzenegger's balls on this movie get worn out by Sharon Stone. Like she bangs those babies about five times, yeah. four or five times. Yeah. Just unloads on them. And there's like a shot. You get like a shot, like a like a medium shot uh, of his crotch as like a foot or like a, a ball the fist hits them. Well, think about it. The effectiveness of a great kick to the stomach or face is just as effective as a kick to the groin, except the lasting impact of, oh my God, in the balls again, because it just, how do I say this? It hits harder. Sure. It's him, That's him to the letter. Mm -hmm. You can't just make basic instinct and have a little bit of skin and this and that. It's gotta be it's gotta skin be and mirrors and then throw another one in there and here comes a midget with a cucumber and now it's on. Yeah, it's gotta it, be extreme. Man, extreme, exactly. Mm -hmm. It works though. Yeah. In the hands, and that's what I love about the action sequence bit that you just brought up. Mm -hmm. As extreme as that is, yeah. and extreme as the violence is, he's not afraid to let the viewer see it by keeping his active camera steady enough. And we can bang on the extreme nature and the over grandization of what he's doing, but he's in control of what he wants you to see by keeping the directorial angles simple it's not extreme it's extreme but it's not off-putting yeah like there's films whether it's like horror or like martyrs or like oh. saving perver ryan's a masterpiece but that opening sequence is kind of hard to watch it's busy it's and it's brutal right this is violent like that but it's it's not off-putting don't Which, you appreciate that it's yeah that's it's it's something missing this is a bygone era of mm -hmm. films made like that of predator this die hard Lethal Weapon. It, it films like they're just not made like that today. I think to that, that's worth noting. That yeah. He was able to rein that in enough to let you see his extreme. I'd love to see him kind of get another, like, he might be just a little kind of past, like, wanting to make a busy film like, like something like this. But, man, Hollow Man did him in, and I, I, it's kind of a shame because I'd like to have seen more of what he could have done Yeah, with a few other interesting ideas. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Yeah, so he goes home to Lori, his wife Sharon Stone, and he's like, he's like, I killed these men. He's like, he's like, these guys are after me. We, I got to get out of here. And at, when he comes out of the out of the bathroom, she's attacking him, shooting at him, gives him a few swift <laughs> kicks to the groin. One of my favorite lines in the film: "Why are you doing this, Lori?" <laughs> she stabs him, and and then she kind of, kind of, kind of spins it for him on like what what's going on here. They erased your identity and implanted a new one. I was written in as your wife so that I could watch you and make sure the erasure took. Sorry, Quaid. Your whole life is just a dream. Okay, then. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? It's me. And so yeah. that's kind of the film in the nutshell. If I'm not if I'm not who I thought I was, what's going on here? And then the film just becomes a chase to kind of uncover that mystery. A little clue here, a little clue there. All the time he's being chased by Richter, Michael Ironside, and Michael Champion. Right. <laughs> I had to tell you like just off cuff and 
maybe this is time better than ever to kind of explain my relationship with this film. So remember last week I, I mentioned, maybe it was the Running Man episode, I got the box, Arnold box set from Costco. Yeah. Commando, Running Man, Predator in this film. Great box set. And I had a, I had a friend, Josh, who he loved this film and always talked about it, always quoted it. And I never knew what he was talking about until I saw it. And I was just like, I get it now. Mm-hmm. And so we were, we were, as we've mentioned before, I was in the band. And whenever we went on field trips, this is like middle school now, the school bus had a seat in the very back. It was, and it's like a one seater. And Josh nicknamed this seat, the Hauser seat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whenever the teacher said, okay, go get on the bus, it was a mad dash to get to the Hauser seat because whoever got to it first got to have it. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, my entire adolescence of middle school and high school, I had some, I have a lot more posters in this house now, but growing up, I had a Halloween reprint. It wasn't this one. Oh, uh, Lord of the Rings fellowship teaser one sheet. And I had the total recall poster. Like that's what I grew up with in my house. And it's Arnold big blue face. Yeah. Uh, I've just always been infatuated with this film and just, yeah, the, the representation of the violence, Arnold's great lines and just this kind of quest to uncover who he is. It's just each layer, it's like an onion and each layer it stinks and it's, it's, it, you're not getting any clear to the answers. And I was thinking about this while we're watching. I was like, this is kind of a pretty heady movie for Schwarzenegger to be making. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the stuff he has to say and all this stuff about trebinium and resources and air and militia. Like, it's like, this isn't command. Commando is a very simple movie. Right. This has a, it's playing with a lot more. And it's interesting that Arnold's kind of leading it. And I, honestly, I think he handles it pretty well. I agree with you in that. He does handle it well. And this is really heady space. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting take on the seat in the back of the bus. The Hauser seat. <laughs> the Hauser seat. <laughs> Got sent there when you were misbehaving and strapped in. Yes. Reprogrammed. Yep. Huh? Yep. Sounds very uh, clockwork orangey. But anyhow, that's a different story. Um, that bit that you played there from Sharon Stone, the sound, <clears throat> mm-hmm. in the context of the film as the movie's going, it's not that. It, it's just, okay, what's going on? Mm-hmm. But if you really sit and think about it, that's loaded and very memento-like. Good. In memento, the quest to figure out who killed my wife has been solved countless times we've come to discover. Mm-hmm. But if you purposely sabotage your quest because that's all you have left is the quest, then once it's accomplished, there's nowhere else to go. So that movie is a riddle that's been solved countless times that is then re-riddled with less information than the previous time because how do you not discover what you've already discovered? Well, you can only do that by unlearning with less information. That's a jargony bunch of bullshit that I just said right there. Yeah. But it cr- the crux of that is also, I think what we're going to get to, and I think you teased it out a little while ago, and I'm sure we'll get there, yeah. is where does reality and dream start and stop in this film? Yeah. Because for a movie that's big action and set pieces and women with three breasts and <laughs> you know all of the yeah, yeah, extreme yeah. nature that we're talking about, you're in a pretty heady space. Sure. And boy, you said it right. Arnold handles it masterfully yeah. in this. He's okay with this. Mm-hmm. And so for as much as we might say he had first right of refusal, and I can say, man, I'm not sure why we chose this and Michael Ironside, and we, we could make some yeah. 
and then, but then there's this. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe. At any point, he could have said, um, wait, what are we doing? Yeah. It's not dumb. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he was fully on board with this from the second he got wind of draft 23 of the screenplay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and add that to it as well. A movie that's, is it reality or not? Mm-hmm. 42 drafts in. Well, you, by the time that's done, you have a real mess on your hands. Yeah. But the movie delivers a linear story that I know has, I know you love this ending. Yeah. I know that you're going to love the ending of this film. Yeah. And yeah, and I have thought, I have thought, we'll get to it. I have thoughts I know, about yeah. it. I want to talk about Arnold's wardrobe in this film. Yeah, it's interesting. Good. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's do that. Whether it's Commando and he's in battle fatigues or Conan and battle armor, Terminator and leather jackets, or even Predator last week in like military combat attire, his outfit in this film is plaid flannel. Right. <laughs> and khaki pants. Cargo khaki pants. Yeah, that to me that's not like that's like not prototypical of like what he wears in these action films, which makes it all the more interesting to me too, is how he's dressed. Is it nondescript? Nondescript average Joe? Exactly. Average Quaid? Yeah, that's kind of what he is. Smart because a guy that's nondescript average Joe Jackhammer Stan. Mm-hmm wants to go to Mars. Other than the opening scene where he's like shirtless in bed, like the clothes stay on and he doesn't really get a chance to like flex. There's no predator scene where they're like arm wrestling midair. Right. It's, yeah, I always thought that was interesting. It's just kind of like how he's presented. Do you find then with, cause I agree with, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Do you find the choice of Sharon Stone as wife a bit too spectacular for average Joe? Oh. And should she and Rachel Tikatin be, flipped in the story mm. i don't know because sharon stone works pretty well as the foil because she does that really good in basic instinct oh no doubt uh and she's hot in this film let's be frank about it oh yeah sharon she stone's is. rocking in this mm-hmm. movie but yeah. is she too spectacular i don't know it's arnold still looks good you know what i mean yeah. yeah so yeah i don't know if i have an answer for that one it's just yeah just the, the attire is just yeah fascinating to me but then, yeah, we have like... So is we, that jacket that he first wears, is that like olive green? Yes, like a it's, drab it's, green? that's olive green. And then he's got the like the pink shirt over and then has like a green plaid underneath that with brown khakis and like honestly like... Sensible shoes. Mountain boots. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Average Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we get on this quest and you got Richter in tail. Like you made a good joke. Like Richter's here just to kind of like be three seconds too late to chase and shoot at him. The whole movie. The whole movie. And whether it's through that, uh, the security checkpoint. And then, man, that scene on the escalator where that guy is just a human bullet shield. Man. They shred him. Yeah. Yeah. Blood squibs galore. Yeah. Arnold gets on the subway, ends up at this hotel to kind of get some luggage from, again, one of those little kind of cookie crumb clues and always like that little bit there where the the woman's on the street's gonna take random luggage excuse me ma'am this is mine i don't see your name on it someone left it for me go and get your own bag <laughs> excuse me ma'am but i need it mm-hmm. <laughs> oh and he's got the towel on his head because this guy's told him he has a bug and that's how they're tracking him right and so the big shoot out there in that square they feel most of this film in mexico city too by the way mm. So a lot of that subway and art, like that's like there, but other than that, that like they were building sets. That's the other thing that's pretty impressive about this is once we get to Mars, is yeah, it's sets, it's you know actual props, models, miniatures, little kind of a CGI that's kind of very blossoming around this time. 
It's, it looks good. Like Mars looks cool. I think you said coolish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you said at the time, one of the most expensive movies ever. What'd you say? 50, 50, 50 to 60 million. Yeah. What was its ROI? Uh, final, final up? gross. This was one of the top films of 1990, $262 million. Yeah, it's a slam dunk, man. Which is, you, it's not surprising because the film's very entertaining, but for R-rated, sci-fi, Arnold, like, you're, like, checking, like, even, like, lower boxes. Like, I'm pretty surprised that this was such a hit. It's funny that you say it was the most expensive, like, at its time, 50, 60, because that's the kiss of death today. Yeah. That's that middle range. They won under five or probably over 120. Yeah. Um, I think they use that pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Some of that CGI stuff, cause they're just sort of figuring it out. Maybe mm-hmm. hasn't aged as well. And I'm not you, like, I'm not going to bang on that. Cause that's just what it was at the time. Yeah. How can you do better than what it was back then? People were probably like, oh, I've never seen anything like that. That's crazy. There's a couple parts where you, the, the makeup's a little bit, uh, eye raising. Oh, um, the Arnold puppet. How many times has Arnold had a puppet done of him? That's just like so questionable. <laughs> I know. But it kind of fits. Yeah. What do you think of this sequence? We're, we're kind of here now. I'll play the audio, and then I kind of want to know what, what you think of this kind of whole scene here. Howdy, stranger. This is Hauser. If things have gone wrong, I'm talking to myself, and you've got a wet towel wrapped around your head. Now, whatever your name is, get ready for the big surprise. You are not you. You are me. No shit. The sequence of he's got all these clues, these fake IDs, this cash, this hologram, this implanting or debug removal tool. This he's got all these things, but he just has no idea how to use them. And then here he gets this message from past self talking to himself about what's going on here. And we get this whole plot with Cohagen. As much as that might give some answers, it proposes even more questions. If he's not him, then who is he? And where's the guy in the video? Is he still around? Is there two? Are we clones? Mm-hmm. Are we in an altered state of ourselves to where we don't recognize um, the soulness of one? I, yeah. So you get some answers, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it makes it any better. Frankly, it doesn't. And that's the crux of this whole film. Mm-hmm. Does it? The answers that you get might have solved problem A, but problem A and the answers you've got have now been elevated, elevated to problem B. And sooner or later, you're going to get to Z, and then where do you go? Yeah. Because you can't answer any more elevated questions because you can only take it so far. Yeah. And that's why I'm getting way ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love the ending in this film. Like, it's just Z now. Figure it out. Exactly, yeah. And do, what do I think of it? I love it, actually. Mm-hmm. I love that the guy on the video looks different yeah cleaner he does yeah more refined Mm -hmm. so it's almost sort of plays on that average joe versus the better version of myself that i'm aspiring to be yep almost bond like in a way yeah omniscient aware informed yeah um it's kind of masterfully done that's that's you can and again what i love about it also Mm -hmm. It's intriguing in the minute, which is fun when you're in the context of the film. Yeah. But then step back and look at it and start thinking about, well, if he's, there's, there's a think piece to that. Sure. That's an art, man. Yeah. So yeah. Your thoughts. Think piece. Yeah, exactly. And you'll get some great exchanges. And then once Richter rolls in, man, it ain't enough to shoot the rat. 
that has the the tracker. Man, that rat explodes onto the monitor. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Verhoeven doing like what he does best. But we find out in that sequence that there's enough information in his memory to nail Cohagen for all the crimes and atrocities that he's doing, which is this like proliferation of air that he won't give away because it's a plentiful resource up there. And he's kind of like president of Mars or whatever. I don't really know what Cohagen's title is in this film. He's just like supreme corporate proprietor he, of atmosphere. You call him, he's, he's Dick Jones on Mars. Right. Literally. <laughs> he's what he is. Right. So once we get there and then, yeah, we get the woman in the two weeks, that whole explosion. We kind of get the setup of the atmosphere. If that these barriers aren't in place, they're going to all fly out. But then once we kind of unravel more of this mystery and he gets to the Hilton and has that little kind of message of ask for a good time, ask for Melina. And then on his way to Venusville, which Venusville is like the red light district all these prostitutes and these crazy, disgusting bars. And I like how the people, these are real normal people that they're calling them mutants because they've been disfigured and disformed because of the lack of air and the lack of resources that they have in their little disgusting seedy part of Mars. They're not aliens, which you might think of just based on how they're made up. But yeah, they're calling them mutants. They even have a jack-in-the-box there in Venus. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. But yeah, we get to to the last resort here and we just meet a whole wide assortment of just crazy characters and just crazy makeup. You get yeah, you mentioned it earlier the three the three boobed chick from she's yeah, remember that after you watch this film. You get Tony whose face looks like something easy. Yeah, careful. exactly. And then and then you have Melina and then I preface this last week we both had a great chuckle. I recorded it again for us right now. Hello, Hauser. Still bulging, I see. Mm. What you been feeding this thing? Moms. I think it's still hungry. <laughs> you know what I really appreciate about that line? <laughs> it's sleazy but demure at the same time. Yeah. What crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like the only time he doesn't get like punched in the groin too. He just gets like nicely, I guess, grabbed. Worn out. But yeah, so now we have Molina. We saw Molina in the first dream sequence. We saw her again in the the recall dream implant chair as the girl that he created based on his decisions. And then we find out they had this whole past and he doesn't know who he is, but they were lovers at some point working for some type of resistance to kind of get close to Cohagen. And she's pissed at him, but it's not to any fault of his own because he just can't remember any of this. He's trying to piece it all together. So, okay, let's talk about that piece it together. Okay. When we go back to the video that he watches with the rat that gets blown up on the screen, Mm -hmm. other than there's a whole lot more questions, here's the one piece in the puzzle I'm going to give you, and it's you need to take this ID, what's Donovan Buchanan, what's the name, whatever it is, and you need to go to the hotel. Oh, Brubaker. Brubaker, there you go. You need to use that name. So then he does... And we get a familiarity with the guy at the front desk in this code where he has the right thumbprint signature. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the safety deposit box. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is going to be eye-opening. We're going to make some headway. Nope. You get another clue, which is a piece of paper to some strip club. Um, and then for a good time on the back or something, get find Molina. Mm-hmm. But you know what's really smartly done in that scene? Mm-hmm. How would you test the writing on something? Compare it against your own. 
It's so well done mm -hmm. and so subtle. And he take I love that part of this film. So minute, but so smart. Like he takes it and he writes the name. Melina, yes. Yeah. And it's a spot on match for the writing on there. So, oh, this is my writing. This is something I wrote. So is this now in a dream state? Of course it's going to match. Or is this reality? Like Jesse, it's really well done. Mm hmm. So, okay, I did write this. So I'm writing this note to myself about this person. So, haha, -ha, I am what I think I am. But now I have a bigger thing, which I got to go find Molina at, you know, mm -hmm. Venusville Strip Club. Yep. So again, we have another piece put into the puzzle. Yeah. So now he shows up, like you said, and we meet Molina and more questions are posed. What's their history? Yeah. Lovers, resistance fighters. Is it Casablanca? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> is it Casablanca? And, and you just keep posing more and more questions. Now, if you're in recall, mm -hmm. what better way to make lasting memories than to have every event be monumental? Because mm -hmm. that's how your and my lives are. Yeah. I don't <laughs> remember just last Tuesday when I was sitting there watching TV. Yeah. I remember the monumental events. Sure. So if you're going to create that, that reality mm -hmm. in recall's corporate structure, then you want big event, big event, big event, because those are going to stick in your memory. So you create a nice library or laundry list or, or volume yeah. of memories. And that's also now feeding into, wait a minute, where are we going with this? Mm -hmm. I, I'm singing its praises on high and heady space yeah. that this movie was never recognized as. Yeah. And frankly, until to, I've seen this movie probably six times, until today, mm -hmm. I didn't know if I really picked up on some of that stuff either till like within the last hour and a half. Yeah. And a lot of that has to be, you know, the framework that Philip K. Dick put in his short story. Again, that's the type of science fiction he, he likes to write. Dan O'Bannon and oh, we saw what they did with Alien. It's a, it's a great, it's a fantastic film. And then just kind of all the piece. And then Paul Verhoeven, just kind of like the final element, just putting that all together. Like this is a film that I think he holds together very well with a lot of elements that he's really good at doing. I don't know what the hell happened in Hollow Man, but man, it didn't happen in that film. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. But like between Basic Instinct, this and Robocop, that's a nice three-film run that he had there. Damn right. They're really good, and they're toying with a lot of really complex ideas deep down. And then if you take that structure, which is environmental pirate, yeah, atmospheric proprietor, yeah, Ronnie Cox. <laughs> Boy, you have a really hateable villain. Mm -hmm. And then if you have the oppressed or downtrodden or forgotten as the ones that feel the effects of it the most, then what better way to show the misanthropic in a science fiction than a mutated state through bad science? Mm -hmm. Dude, we're working with some really good, con solid, good concepts. We're working with sci-fi that I actually like. Yeah. I, 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 and then the, the the following scene kind of furthers that because he's paid a visit by like this guy from Recall who's been implanted to say you're dreaming, Mister Quaid. I'm here to bring you out of it. You're having a they call it a schizoidembolism, <laughs> whatever that is. But it's that's like a, what happened in Serenity. That's where it went <laughs> south. I just pin, thank you. I finally it was a schizoidembolism. That's what Serenity was, Jesse. Oh my God, doggone it! Thank you. You just fixed that film for me. Right, Nation audience. It's been this is episode. This is episode seventy five. <laughs> Shit, he's addressing all of you. It's going to be profound. Let's hear this. This is episode seventy five of Rice Smile Films, which is amazing. Cheers to that first. Amen. Serenity is episode number four, and it was like it totally just like went off the rails so quickly yeah. in the start of this podcast. For those that haven't seen it. 
I feel like you need to see it because the way we explain it sounds preposterous. Yeah. But that's the film. If you want just like a crazy movie night, pop that on. Like, <laughs> Get some popcorn and have fun. Schizoid embolism. Yeah, so he has this thing. And I swear this is maybe another scene that like maybe the Matrix ripped off was this whole pill thing that if you bring it, I'll bring you back to reality and back to your real memories, which is Lori. He brings Lori in in this great pantsuit uh, yeah, yeah. that she, she rolls in on. And yeah, Quaid's just not buying it. Like, everything's just too weird for him right now. He's being chased, Molina, everything. Everything's just too familiar but too strange at the same time. And, man, that guy, like, the bead of sweat that goes down, boom, blows him right in the head. So I got to ask you because I, I don't know if I know the answer to this. Okay. Per beats in a screenplay. Okay. Is this the second act reversal? Is this as bad as it's been? Or is this the midpoint? I think this is the midpoint. Okay. Because I think it's as bad as it's been is when Cohagen shuts off the air. Okay. Yeah. Which is right around the corner from this. But yeah, this is the midpoint. This is like, man, everything's been pretty confusing up to there. And then what I'm pitching to you is equally confusing. And I don't think we're getting any, like you said earlier, we're not getting any more answers. If anything, we're confusing our protagonist. And what do you get to give the ghost up with the projection that showed up? Mm -hmm. Projections wouldn't sweat. Yeah. And this one sweats. Yeah. Yeah. Subtle. Shoots him, spits the Smart. pill at him. Yeah. Yeah. But not before uh, Lori gives him another swears out his balls swift again. kick to the crotch with a pair of high heels. And then and then Melina shows up. Well, <laughs> Richter and Michael Champion have like, just gone hog wild at this point. Yeah. Cohagen's so pissed at them. But they're at the bar. <laughs> Drinking a smoothie. Pina coladas or something. <laughs> they get the call saying, we got him. Yeah. And then they're there to the, the elevator. And then Molina shows up, makes waste of all of them. And I kind of like that fight that the two of them had. Like, Me it's too. like well choreographed. Like, and then it's brutal. And man, she's about to do an interview. And man, Quaid's like, boom, consider that a divorce kind of a thing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the end of, of Sharon Stone there. But it wasn't at the end for Paul Verhoeven because he was like, man, this, this girl's perfect for. A villain. Yeah, for a villain. And, and he was right. My next film. What's her name? I can't think of her name right now. Who? Sharon in, Stone? In Basic Instinct. Catherine Tremell. Oh, yeah. Jesus, Tremel. man. Yeah. So that's kind of like where the seeds of that were planted. Another terrific film. But yeah, now they're on the chase. They get Benny involved. And then just I, I love the, the, the last resort shootout that they have. They just make waste, and it's just again like the this film's not af- afraid to dispose of people, and and the the little person she takes the knife and just rams it into chain, and then she takes the machine gun and shooting and kills like five people. Like I I I, I tried to keep count and I lost count. How many people die in this film? Oh yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's got to be maybe a hundred. Yep, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, because it's just every just nondescript militia, police, mutants. Underground resistance, which we're going to get to now. I was going to turn to you, but then I was like, geez, man, my favorite thing that I love in in dystopian films, the underground resistance, which in this film, it doesn't even matter because after Quato's pitch. A man is defined by his action, not his memory. Please take my hand. I wouldn't take Quattro's hand, man. It was gross. Now, open your mind to me. Please. Open your mind. 
So Quato is like a soothsayer, this mystic, this psychic that's able to kind of dig into people's memories to pull out whatever information. What he pulls out of Quaid is this reactor and what it really does. Well, film is a thief. Yeah. So let's talk about Quato. Okay. <laughs> One of the more important points in all of science fiction is Ron said in the chestburster and Alien. Yeah. It's essentially the same thing. Yeah. It's not quite as ugly. It's a more childlike, he's, hairy version. No, he's pretty ugly. He's like, ugly. Quato's gross. Yeah. <laughs> this is more ugly where the alien is a little bit more scary. More phallic. Okay, that's fair too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that works so well. Let's bring it back. Sure. This, I, this, look, this doesn't work as good, but it still is effective. His voice doesn't really fit what that thing should sound like. The body that carries him and the comatic state that it goes into when Quato begins speaking is weird. Quato's like a cry. He looks like the Chucky doll. Covered in Vaseline. And like Modoc from Iron Man. Oh my God. It's spot on. <laughs> That's what he looks like to me. With some KY. With some, well, a lot of KY jelly. He's so sweaty. Ugh. So slimy. Yeah, I wouldn't take his his little hands. Take my hand. All and, three of them. And that as he comes to... Like I said, this, again, I was like, man, this resistance, I hate this shit in science fiction films. It doesn't even matter because Richter and crew show up and they just, they kill the resistance. Right. They wipe them out. They kill Quato, bullet to the head. And it's like, it didn't even matter because again, so again, talking about as bad as it could possibly get, Cohagen shut off the air to Venusville. All the mutants are dying and he's captured Quaid and Molina. They've killed Quato, the person they've been looking for the entire film. Quaid led him right to them. They're captured. And then we learn the like the reversal betrayal of Hauser still working. For... Howdy, stranger. If I'm talking to you, that means that Quato's dead and you brought him right to me. And they're like buddy buddies. Huge reversal. Yeah. The real version, the Hauser version of Quaid, is a spy. And mm -hmm. Hauser, as Quaid, has been working against a nefarious foe that's actually himself. And the himself that is the nefarious foe yeah. is 16 moves ahead of him on the chessboard. Yeah. He already knows where all the pieces are. He knows what the answers are. Meanwhile, Quaid is in this sort of self-induced reactionary state where he's just going from clue to clue in the moment to moment and basically relying on guile and his fists, right? Mm -hmm. To get him out of any situation. Yeah. So now we get to it. If I'm going to do in Hauser, yeah. am I doing in myself? Because that's the solution. Just kill yourself. But then I can't do that because somehow I'm supposed to find this reactor with this strange alien-like handprint that I need to do something with and it probably has to do with the air and the people that are suffering in Venusville. So the everyman now champions the cause yeah. of those that have no air in Venusville mm -hmm. against terrible corporate entity. Yeah, perfect. So we're at a simple concept. Yeah. Oppressive economic force and a really smartly wrapped science fiction package with plenty of blood. Let me tell play. me what the, there's what no, misstep know, do we have? No, this Come is, on, I don't know. I'm, I'm having the best time of my life up to this right. point. I'm gonna play a line. I know this is your favorite line of the entire film. Okay, the oxygen level is bottoming oh, out in it. sector yeah. G. What do you want me to do about it? Don't do anything. But they won't last an hour, sir. 
Fuck them. Be a good lesson to the others. Come on, Cohagen. You got what you want. Give this people air. My friend, in five minutes, you won't give a shit about the people. Fire it up, Doc. Excuse me, Doctor. Is he going to remember any of this? Not a thing. Oh, really? So there's a lot of stuff set up in that sequence. Right, go ahead, go ahead. Refresh. Come on, Cohagen. Give these people what they want. Yeah. 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 So simple. And I love his just delivery. Fuck him. Like, yeah. He just doesn't care. Like, so hateable. I, I was trying to think who's more hateable, Velos Cohagen or Dick Jones, because they both suck. <laughs> they, oh, man. They both suck. Right. This is a tribute to Ronnie Cox. He's really good at that. Mm hmm. Which is weird, too, because the only other film I attribute Ronnie Cox with is Deliverance, and he's a very moral authority in that film, yeah. like a moral compass, is, which is a weird word to say. Oh, what a filmography. Robocop, Total Recall, and Deliverance. That other thing. See, it's, no, I know, but like... Isn't he in he's in Beverly Hills Cop? He's in one of those. Yeah, I think he's yeah, yeah the commanding officer. He's that, that guy. Yeah. Interesting, because nowhere, I don't care... They won't last an hour. We have a ticking time clock element now. Quaid's wrapped in this chair. Richter finally gets one up on him, gives him a swift punch to the face. And man, they got to get out of there. They're going to erase his memory. This is one of my favorite parts of the film because, like, man, Arnold, I would love to give Arnold screen direction. Okay, Arnold, we're going to put you in this chair and, like, you just, we're going to add all the sound effects and everything later, but you got to act like you're, like, getting your memory erased. Man, Arnold has the best memory erasing face. <laughs> Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> and he pulls that thing out and jabs and punctures a guy in the neck, busts another guy's like two other guys' faces in, and then the, like the last guy, he takes this rod and sticks it through his head through his forehead. Like, Jesus. Let's kill him in grand fashion. It's a massacre. Mm -hmm. Like every scene that they leave, there's just blood everywhere. There's just blood, just carnage galore. So then we got to do away with Benny. Benny, man, Benny meets terrible fate too. He's got he's got this like these driller that they drill through the caverns to kind of find all these all these um, the reactor and the resistance and all this and that. And man, Quaid just takes that drill and just makes mincemeat of of Benny in in the in the thing. Who we find out's been working for Cohagen. I got five kids to feed. <laughs> Thought it was four. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, you figured me out. I ain't even true. married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a mutant too. He's got like like this like this claw arm thing. So then we get to the the kind of final sequence. We see the reactor, and again, this is all interesting. We're about to to dive right into it, but we saw this reactor in the recall station. It's one of the pictures that's shown to him. Right. And he's saying Mars's core is one big glacier. If these reactor cores get in there, it will give the people breathable air. It will create an atmosphere like that. Right. <laughs> and then we get this final confrontation between Richter and the forces, and we get the hologram that we saw earlier and how he's going to use it to, again, just make mincemeat of like 20 more men. And then the fight with Richter. You said you forgot about this part. Man, this, this is such a great fight scene. Yeah, I had forgotten about On the that. elevator. And then just Richter hanging off and you're coming with me. And he just gets his arms lopped off by a piece of concrete. Yeah. And then to pay off the line that was set up earlier. Oh, by the way, uh, Quaid, I'm, I'm having a party later. Why don't you, Melina, stop by? And then Rick, see you at the party, Quaid. See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> he throws him his arms. Over Only the... in a rerun. Oh, my God. I love it. Mm -hmm. So then we get the final confrontation between Cohagen and Quaid over this reactor here. And this is what we get. 
Turn it on. Impossible. Once the reaction starts, it'll spread to all the turbinium in the planet. Mars will go into global meltdown. That's why the aliens never turned it on. And you expect me to believe you? Who gives a shit what you believe? In 30 seconds, you'll be dead. And I'll blow this place up and be home in time for cornflakes. I didn't want it to end this way. I wanted Hauser back, but no. You had to be Quaid. I am Quaid. You're nothing. You're nobody. You're a stupid dream. Well, all dreams come to an end. He's telling him a lot of like what he's like, you're nobody, you're not who you think you are, you're just an average Joe. And this is all a dream. This is all just a scenario. Well, and if the journey it recalls about done, then Ronnie Cox's character saying all dreams come to an end is letting him know mm-hmm. that the experience is just about up. <clears throat> We've come to the point of no return. It's make or break. Yep. And again, it, it feeds into what you said. So the reactor is a picture that he sees in the recall office. And now what Ronnie Cox's character says is the last call essentially in the bar of total recall. Mm-hmm. It's all about to end. Yeah. Unless it's really happening. And that's the million dollar question, right? Yep. And the fight between Arnold and Ronnie Cox, what's his name? Cohagen. Yeah, Co- Jesus. The fight between Arnold and Cohagen can't really be a fight because that's not going to be yeah. one we want to watch. Yeah. It's like, you know, beating up a third grader or yeah. something. Yeah. But the other fight that ensues is him against Mother Nature. Yep to get to the reactor before he's blown out the window because the vacuum seal has been shattered and they're about to be sucked out into the surface of Mars, which has no oxygen, which causes your eyes to bug out. And eventually you kind of implode in a weird suffocated state. Yep. So Arnold's muscles are pulling him towards that alien like palm piece. Yeah. It ain't quite Spock's thing. It's, <laughs> it's more like this. And it looks funny until you kind of put your pointer finger and your middle finger together and you realize like, Oh, you have that. Yeah. So maybe you're an alien too and a mutant. Yep. Again, fitting into, is it a dream of reality? Cause you can make that shape with your hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he pulls it on there and sets. And of course, all we need to create an atmosphere is a little thermal dynamics and a gravity. Didn't you know that Jesse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it can happen in like, Two minutes. We could live on any planet. There you go. <laughs> and it does, which fine. But then we did have one qualm in this point, right? With the eyes? <laughs> As Molina and and uh, which Doug the, are sucked out the window onto the surface of Mars and they're... <laughs> the Molina puppet looked good. She did look good. Yeah. But their eyes begin to bug out. Mm-hmm. At some point, I don't know if you can just push those back. And, and the infusion of oxygen, maybe not, is going to be enough to rescue just that. Just to re- revert it back to your normal face. <laughs> As but again, if it's a dream, does it matter? And like, literally, are we playing so fast and loose with physics and everything in this uh, movie yeah. that we're going to pick and choose on that? Give yeah. me a break. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're able to establish this atmosphere. Venus feels like brought back to life when they were on the brink. And Mars is transformed into this now kind of earthly atmosphere with breathable air. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. You're a big bookend guy. Okay. You like beginning and end to sort of match. Yeah. Do you like that essentially the opening to this film is the ending insofar as Arnold on the surface of Mars with his eyes bugging out? Are you a fan I of that? I love stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. How come you like, well, tell, talk about that for a minute. I just think it's, 
you know, to to kind of it's like like a road and just kind of the journey you take to, to end where you began is something that not a lot of films do, but in a lot of films that I like start and end in very different places, yeah. but a film that it's able to bookend kind of where you started in a vastly different way two opposing ways. I think they almost like a magnet, just like attract like a different type of reaction. I love when films, there's a, there's a great film. I don't know if you've seen it with Henry Fonda. Maybe it's a John Ford movie. The Oxbow Incident. Mm. That film starts with Henry Fonda, and I can't remember his partner's name, but riding into town on horses, literally riding down this hill. And the film ends with them on horses riding back up the same hill. Mm-hmm. That's I, I love that. Like it's the journey's complete, beginning and end. It's set up and payoff too, right? From a writing point of view. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the end here. So we get the blue skies on Mars again, set up later in the, in the recall. And we get Arnold's line. I've just had a terrible thought. What if all this is a dream? Then kiss me before you do. And then we have this kiss. Well, let's talk about this idea because I think I would like this film a whole lot less if we cut from that moment to the recall chair and he wakes up and it was like, Oh, well, that was, that was amazing to me. This film would complement very well with another film. Maybe we're going to talk about it here in a couple of weeks, which is Inception. Yeah, exactly. And it's the ambiguity of the ending. And I like that it's undefined. Maybe he's dreaming. Maybe this has just been a recall scenario the whole time. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it was a conspiracy and he squashed it by the end here. Either way, I think, and the same with Inception. Is he still dreaming? Is it still just a scenario in his head? I think what's left up to the viewer to decide is more tantal- titillating and more interesting than what the directors could actually tell you. And that's what I love about film is that that gray area where the viewers left to kind of figure out what they think is going on here. The crux of inception teeters on the idea of centrifugal force. Mm-hmm. And is that totem going to top spinning and the wobble might lend one to believe that it's losing momentum and thus the answer is yes and we get a happy ending or maybe it was a crack in the table. Either way, it was a really good ride to get there Mm -hmm. and you can make your own way through it with plenty of evidence. Mm -hmm. This is the same thing. Yeah. I mean, there's been some hints along the way. A lot of hints, yeah. That are maybe this is a dream and there's almost a Kaiser Soze at the board in the police station with the things that are built into the dream Mm -hmm. or the lie. Yeah. I would tend to probably waver on the side of it is a dream only because when he goes under, it's fade out and then fade back into second act, which is the spy bit. Yeah. But regardless whether it is or isn't, I don't know if I care because I had exactly a complete story told. And you know what's also really, really pretty cool about this? Yeah. One of the big no-no's. In any story mm-hmm. is, it was all a dream. Yep. You cannot do that. Yeah. People just basically tell you, pound sand. Yes. Like, you cannot do that. Exactly. This is that, maybe. Mm-hmm. But done in a vanilla sky, inception, memento-y sort of way, where maybe you do or don't know, but doesn't matter because the story is going to be told so masterfully. It I, I, doesn't it, matter. It really doesn't. And not at all. Like what, what the define, like if Paul Verhoeven on his deathbed, like said, like what it is, I think that would probably like infuriate me more than anything. Cause I don't think I don't want a de- definition. I want non-closure. 
which is weird to have in a film because you want closure in a film ending. But in something like this where you're right, you had a complete story and everything was kind of yet beginning, middle, and the end. You don't need the closure to that. I, I like the mystery of film that this offers. I think the essential piece in that in this film is pacing. Mm-hmm. We only get about a third of the film as dug in wakened state prior to recall. And then two-thirds of the film, which is all of the meat of the film, is him in the recalled state, whatever that is, whether it's him back with the pulmonary embolism and he's super agent acting against the forces through recall or whether it's the dream that's happening purchased through recall. It doesn't matter. That's the meat of the character. That's where the development of the character is coming from. And they've built up enough in that first act to when it plays out in the second and third acts, it ties it all together, which goes back to what I was saying with you, the book ending. Yeah. It's subtly structured and paced brilliantly. There's no question about that. And that's also quite an art in writing and directorial efforts. Exactly. So let me ask you. Okay. Dream or no dream? Where, what Tier right now at this time on Saturday afternoon, okay. what do you got? Just tell me what you think. It's, I think it's a recall scenario. Yeah, me too. Which is tragic. You know what I mean? <laughs> When he wakes up, he has to go back. Well, going back to Sharon Stone's not that tragic, but like... Hell of a story. <laughs> yeah, it's a hell of a story. Yeah. yeah what he purchased. Exactly. Uh, this is going to be no surprise to you because I think this has befallen every Paul Verhoeven film that's ever been made. Uh, slapped with an X rating before. But when you're watching it, you can totally tell. I mean, just like when, when the violence hits, it's just like, it's crazy. It's just, it's just out of control. Like that guy getting blasted on the escalator. I think there's more to that. I think they had to tone that one down mm. and that's extreme already. Mm-hmm. But won the Academy Award for best visual effects. I think that sequence uh, with the skeleton on the, the x-ray with when he's got the gun, I think that was the first time they did like a photo reel uh, CGI effect in a film. Like that's like a first for, for film. You can also see in that moment Paul Verhoeven's early experimentation that you'll see later on with Hollow Man, right? Because aren't, aren't they similar? Yeah, the, the Hollow Man's visuals are at the time were probably pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have some questions for you. What's your favorite tasting note of Total Recall? Oh boy. It's easy to say Arnold or Paul Verhoeven. We've done that a hundred times. I'm going to do something a little different. No, your favorite scene. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, I think the bit with Sharon Stone fighting Arnold in the apartment might be it, just because I think the potential for what that's going to reveal later on with her Mm -hmm. is birthed or that's the genesis of her as bad guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's 50 scenes with Arnold that are better than that. And Paul Verhoeven, and we talked about the ability to not make the camera too busy. Like, our, But I want to be a little bit contrarian. How about that? Yeah. And go with that first fight sequence with her and Arnold. Yeah, that one's pretty good. What do you got? And mine's the breaking out of the re-memory implant chair with him and Molina. It's yeah. just it's just so brutal. It's Arnold just going totally nuts and again expertly put together by Paul Verhoeven and crew. It's I've, I've always really liked that sequence. I like the line by the 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 lab tech that's like if you don't keep still you'll end up psychotic and man he just takes the, this 
piece of arm resistant to the neck and it just like punctures his throat. Like it's just crazy. All over Arnold, like the blood is just like squirts all over him. What's the? I need to take a shot moment of the film. Mine, I've mentioned it like three. It's the that dude on the escalator. The human shield is just it's just so brutal, and you almost want to laugh, which is kind of sick. But like it 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 almost teeters on comedic violence while still being pretty brutal at the same time. That's RoboCop to a T. Oh man, yeah. Oh boy, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> I think the 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 violence piece that I'm going to use on this has to do with that breaking out of the chair bit that you're talking about. Yeah. That dowel that he pulls out of that gauntlet that has his arm on that chair mm-hmm. that is impaled in that guy's neck. Yeah. And like, you can't just get him in the neck or the head. It's got to be right through the jugular. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. <sighs> close second. Yeah. Is whore midget on the bar counter with the machine gun. <laughs> Awesome. Like, are you are you kidding me? Yeah, but no, they're not kidding you. She takes out like five guys. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. That seems ridiculous. You're ridiculous. Excellent. Who's the master distiller on Total Recall? Oh, this is I don't know. I mean, are we gonna not let? Okay, okay so I'm I'm not gonna choose Verhoeven or Schwarzenegger. Okay. Ooh. Anybody that's involved in any piece of set design in this movie mm. venusville looks like nothing other than what venusville should be seedy red light <clears throat> dirty common um it just looks like the slums yeah it looks like a futuristic slum with less money and less nostalgia than any established red light district yeah it no, looks it just looks great. So they're tangible sets. Like his name I, was Tikatin. Is that no? No, that's the chick. Rachel Takanta. No, what's what's the guy? Rob Botine. Yeah, Botine. Yeah, and he did like like all the makeup effects and like a lot of the gore and stuff. So him and his crew to put that together. It's pretty good. Then no, no, I love tangible sets. Again, like I'd love to kind of go to Mexico City where this was filmed to kind of just kind of see like how futuristic they thought this looked like with just the way the subways and the layouts and everything because they they took a lot of real areas and and put them into this film. Man, who do I pick? As I mentioned last week, this is my favorite Schwarzenegger film. He's I think he's really good. And that when I found out about the veto power that he kind of helped put a lot of this team together, that's pretty great. Man, Paul Verhoeven's also really awesome. So maybe I'll take the two of them since you didn't pick them because Arnold's really terrific in this film. This might be my favorite Verhoeven film, and that's coming from RoboCop's a pretty dang good movie, and so is Basic Instinct. But I just love the way he handles this this material. Yeah. Science fiction, heady, but it's fun. Like, this is a fun ride. It, it, it reminds me a lot of the way I feel when I watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's a fun adventure exploring a lot of ideas but like it doesn't forget what type of a film it is that's total recall to me like total recall doesn't go blade runner and i i I can get into that headspace you know i love blade runner but i love this too okay yeah how are you gonna rate and grade total recall we have rock gut well call single barrel and top shelf Hmm. um it's certainly in the upper echelon of things he's done he being arnold Mm mm-hmm I think this is going to get single barrel for me because there were some missteps with Philip K. Dick mm-hmm. and the way that his stuff had been adapted. 
I am always impressed when someone can take a movie that you can appreciate on two different levels at the same time. The Graduate does this really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Double Indemnity does this really well. That is entertainment. And then upon further inspection, if you want to get heady, yeah. it delivers as well. That's a very rare. It's hard to do. And special, special film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as much as Top Shelf is the elite of the elite, mm-hmm. sometimes I think Single Barrel is just as good. It's just as good and maybe more notable. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm going to give this movie the rating that I did. Mm-hmm. It has aged terrifically well for me. Yeah. I was worried that this movie was going to play like crap this morning. Well, the Arnold puppet, like, but the Arnold puppet has never been. That's one good. moment. That's yeah, one that's, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you, like, you can't you can't criticize that film for that because that's what it was at the time. They hadn't done better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to go single barrel. Excellent. Um, with a bullet. Sweet. I'll probably go like single barrel plus. Okay. Again, this is my favorite Arnold film. I love how cool all those lines, like, <laughs> I am Quaid. You blew my kava. Mm. <laughs> so, like, I love every line of this. I love the cast. I love the characters. I love the setting. I love the design. I love the violence. It's just it's just out of control. Jerry Goldsmith's amazing score. Yeah. I love the high concept idea of a recall and what that means. I just have, a, like, like again, like, I, I had this poster in my bedroom for years. You still have it? I still have it. It's not hanging up here in the house, but it's rolled up in a tube somewhere. I, I idolize this. I, I loved it. It was just such a great time for me. And I think I watched it at the right age too, like seventh grade, like sixth grade. Perfect. Yeah. It's like when you're discovering like really like more like intense films, but I'm finding intense films of a bygone era that I didn't grow up in. Like, nice. like early nineties, late eighties. It's good. And yeah, it's, it's really unique. I'll tell you this right now. If like whenever, when we do Terminator 2 Judgment Day, I'll give that film a higher rating than Total Recall. I think, but Total Recall is still my favorite Schwarzenegger film. Like a man at the height of his powers, like everything that he is and an idea that could work probably with another actor, but I'm glad he's in it because he makes it work too. I love it. Ambitious and specced in a certain way too. Yeah. delivers. Mm -hmm. T2 had the the built-in audience of Terminator. Mm Mm-hmm. Give it a, a launching point. Yeah. This is just from somebody's imagination. Exactly. Yeah. Philip K. Dick's imagination. Right. Yeah. And a lot of other people. Excellent. I love it. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to those ratings. And let's go ahead and get to our nightcap question. No, oh, we've been at recall this whole time, Matt. This whole episode's been a dream. Not even here. Excellent. So for the nightcap, this is a surprise. This is something we've never done on Rice Smile Films, and I didn't tell you what is about to happen. Okay. So again, I mentioned Total Recall had a, a remake, a TV show, probably a novelization at, at some point. The other thing it had was a video game adaptation on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, I am fortunate enough to actually own this game. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a little 10-minute break. You won't notice it on the podcast, but we're going to go play the game and then come back. And I, I want you to give your raw reaction to playing this game. Wow, okay. Okay. Sounds great. All right, raw audience, we'll be back in just a bit. Okay, we're back from playing Total Recall on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Matt, what did you think? Was that a trip down memory lane? 
old school platform runner, very pixelated. Um, <laughs> like a lot of the ones that I remember as a kid playing, I never played that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they've kind of used the characters that you recognize. What's impressive though is the cutscenes. Oh yeah, like we only saw a couple of them, but the characterizations and the look of the bad guys in the cutscenes is kind of spot on. Like that opening bit mm-hmm. looks like Arnold. It's pretty good Arnold. Yeah, it is pretty good Arnold. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of clunky and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of <laughs> probably clunky. wouldn't be my first choice. But um, can you imagine? Like I, I, I kind of proposed to you. Like you'd be, that'd be like your Friday night. You'd go to the blockbuster and go rent a game. Man, don't, I love the movie Total Recall. And rent the game, and then you get that, and you're like, God, this kind of sucks. It's just, just jumping and on trash cans and sewers and punching people. I think so many games uh, benefited from just the the licensing aspect of having like oh a recognizable uh, title. Hey, they saw the movie, they'll play the game, and then they kind of put out something like that, and you'd be like, oh my god, like this yeah. is the game. This is the game. You have green suited Arnold, and then we got to the party. You have to fight uh, Laurie in the apartment, and then Richter shows up, and there's a lot of stuff out there to kill you, and you keep getting pulled into the sewers. Like it's kind of a, a bit of a difficult game, but a lot of those platformers are are kind of hard. You have to kind of get the pattern down of like stuff coming to get you. How the characters move and the bad guys move, but. Um, yeah. I'll give them credit for monetizing a pretty successful franchise. Sure, yeah, exactly. 1990. Yeah, 1990. Yeah, Nintendo was yeah, a budding thing at, at that point. A, a few years from the Genesis, you said you had one in the Super Nintendo. Yeah. The first system I had was Nintendo 64 and then PlayStation, and then I've never been anything since. Right. <laughs> I've had one, two, three, four, and... Five coming. You bet your ass I'm getting five. So I'm right there with you. Excellent. Yeah, I wanted to do that because like I, I have a few of those. I, I have Robocop and whenever we do the platoon episode, we can play the platoon game. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I, I had I have a few of those and and the Disney like Aladdin and Lion King stuff is so hard. Like the the difficulties like at an eleven on those ones. So I have a few video game adaptation ones, but not all of them like movie adaptation games are great. Most of them for the most part are pretty terrible. <laughs> The movie's so far ahead of it in only not only story but visual. Sure. I think today there's a lot of cases where you could make the opposite. Yeah. That's the game is way better than the adaptation into a movie. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this, and it just came out yesterday or the day before, but I don't know if you played The Last of Us. Yeah. Um, so part two came out, right. and every review I've read has said this is the best thing, this is the best movie adaptation that's come out that's not like, this is better than any film that's come out in 2020. Like the story is that incredible and the wow. gameplay. I, I can't wait to get my hands on that. That's cool. Yeah, that's Naughty Dog. They did uh, Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great company. Yeah, you're right. Like a lot of, whether it's God of War or the Assassin's Creed stuff, like. Speaking Devo Hell, Uncharted, yeah. my God. Yeah, maybe. Tom Holland. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Unless Mark Wahlberg wants to get back for the fourth time. Gross. Uh, yeah, video games have come a long way in their storytelling storytelling ability yeah. on screen. Like you're playing, you're still in the midst of playing Spider Man for PlayStation Four. I am. That's a hell of a story there. Getting close, yeah. Getting close, yeah. That's yeah. I think yeah. Video from that to what we have now, it's been a pretty interesting ride. Mm-hmm. This puts the final nail in. Thanks, the, that was fun. Yeah, that was yeah, fun. No problem. Yeah, this puts the close. This cask, Arnold. We'll come back to Arnold. There's. I'd love to talk about True Lies and Last Action Hero. Talk about like a lot. A lot of those. You know, talk about John McTiernan again on the, on that one. There's a lot more of his film Conan, mm-hmm. or John Milius. 
there's so many avenues we could take with that, but we're going to take a step back. So Matt and I have had a conversation about what we're going to do in the lead up. It looks like, yeah, Tenant is still on track to be the first new release, and we're going to do a nice cask and lead up to that film. But we still have probably about three weeks to get through. And mm-hmm. since quarantine started, we did, you know, Mad Max, and we've done um, E.T. and Batman. We've, we've done, for the most part, good films. Yeah. Some are good films. William Friedkin, too. Like, we've given a lot of top shelf and single barrel ratings, so Matt and I were like, <laughs> Man, maybe we need to balance things out a bit, and maybe we need to do a like a trash cask again. Here it comes. Here it comes in full throttle. I can't think of a better name to call this than the Summer Box Office Hall of Shame. Mm. <sighs> yeah, we're not going to torture ourselves like we did in DC. We're not drinking crap. We're no. going to drink good and suffer film crap. And we're going to talk about a film that, man, has. I think it was voted by the Golden Raspberry Awards as the worst film of the decade of the 2000s. Matt, I've never seen this film before. I've avoided it for a good reason. From 2000, 2000, I believe? Battlefield Earth. First view for me, too. Ugh. John Travolta and his take in science fiction as Scientology. All I know is that though it's based on a novel by L. Ron Hubbard, the oh, founder of Scientology. We have so much to unwrap. I, I don't even know if the, the, the Scientology is going to be the stuff that hangs us up or if it's just so atrociously made. Right. We'll have since uh, this might be unprecedented. Other than new releases that we do, we're gonna both have to just come into this raw. Okay. Come over, watch. We'll just experience it from the beginning. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm nervous. And then the stuff coming in the next two weeks is just is just equally atrocious. So before we do next week, <laughs> are you gonna go in like cold, cold and raw? Or are you gonna do some research? I usually do a little bit of research before I come on, but do we want to just do pure, unadulterated, raw? I might do some research on just the production aspect, but nothing on the story. Okay. I won't read anything about what it's about. I know it's a science fiction yarn about aliens. Maybe I'll look into the yarn, not story stuff, but the ties to L. Ron Hubbard and Dianetics and see about that. Because, I mean, it's adapted material, and that's so maybe I'll look into that. Gosh, what a bunch of cuckoo shit. Three weeks of rough, rough stuff. Next week's going to be bad. Bad. What's going to get better the next two? Not much. No, it's not. It's going to be just, we're going to talk about films that are just like forced actors to retire. (laughs) And then was maybe the death curse for a certain director. And we've talked about him before. Showgirls? Yeah. That would actually probably fit this cast pretty good. We'll we'll come back to Verhoeven because we got two more films of his. We better warrant talking. Yeah. Excellent. So we had, you had that coming to you. I'm sure it's going to be a hilarious listen to and just absolute torture for Matt and myself. Yeah. But until then, thank you to Schwarzenegger, Verhoeven, John McTiernan, Paul Michael Glazer, <laughs> Stephen King for churning out these films that you got to grow up with in the 1980s. I got to experience in that amazing box set at mm-hmm. Costco. <laughs> They've been such a part of my life this entire time. And man, they just feel like summer films right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Excellent. So until next week, I got to get going. I got to get my ass to Mars because, yeah, I got to go find out the secrets of the Trebinium. Well, I have a party that I'm going to go to tonight. Mm. And if I can get Richter to stop going hog wild, maybe I'll take him. Arms or not. See you at the party. <laughs> Excellent, everybody. Thank you for all the downloads and listens. And got a lot of great feedback this week about yeah, people said Predator was the best episode we've ever made. So, like, yeah, I, I cheers to, to those listeners giving us that feedback. Right. Excellent. We'll see you next week. Everybody have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. 
Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a comment at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. Total Recall is property of TriStar Pitchers and Corelco Pitchers, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Coming with me! See you at the party, Richter!